This is the Aussie Animal Show on Triple A Radio. My name is Rob Armstrong. Welcome to the wildlife. An update on the plantation koalas at Gordon. Jesse from Ballarat Koala Rescue and Advocacy has received notification from Central Highlands Water, the owners of the plantation, and at this point, they don't expect the harvest to begin next week either. It's good that Central Highlands Water has open communications with those concerned about the well-being of the koalas. For all the volunteers that are on call ready to go in and assist these koalas, you'll be notified the moment they have any new information. So once again, another week is passing without the harvest beginning. That's running now about four weeks past its harvest date. There must be some pressure being brought to bear on the plantation owners. Tonight's program is very heavily concentrated on kangaroos, two separate issues. But before we go into those interviews, I would like to replay the testimony given to the New South Wales Parliamentary Inquiry into the well-being of kangaroos and macropods in New South Wales. This testimony was given by Auntie Ro Majin Godwin, Balawa woman, Indigenous educator, journalist and truth speaker. The term auntie, and I think most people know that term, but in the Aboriginal communities it means something special. Elders, the keepers of the culture, of the knowledge of country, are respected people and often called aunties and uncles. Normally um, some politically correct statement is made about acknowledging the traditional owners of the land. Uh, I'm not terribly politically correct, and if I offend anyone, I do apologize. But I'd just like to acknowledge that I'm recording this on the traditional lands of the Jarung clans. And as a good friend of mine said, this land belongs to the Jarung. Always has, always will be. The quality of this audio is a little bit lacking, but please listen carefully and listen with your hearts and listen with your minds. This is an amazing testimony given by Auntie Ro Majid Godwin. Those of us who have been negatively and severely impacted by the relentless colonialism surrounding kangaroos and the barbaric slaughter of the sacred totem kangaroo now have a voice. The poignant words of Mr David Brooks, honorary associate professor in Australian literature at the University of Sydney, in the article Rethinking Kangaroos, The Ethics of the Slaughter of a Species, published by ABC Religion and Ethics, Monday, 7th of June, 2021, states. It is no longer as widely acceptable to regard non-human animals as unthinking, unfeeling, unsuffering commodities. There is a growing understanding that when we slaughter, we slaughter beings like ourselves. And I'd like everyone to think about that as we yarn here together today. I'm Marty Rowe, my Godwin. 
Hullabal woman, Indigenous educator and writer. And I'm just one of many Indigenous peoples whose lives have been almost destroyed thanks to the distress caused by the Australian and New South Wales government-sanctioned commercial kangaroo killing industry. The treatment of country and kangaroo by the unsustainable farming sector and by the colonialism that infects the minority of the people causing the majority of the destruction across country. This colonialism that sees country as only something to gain a financial profit from, to be used, to be abused, and that sees kangaroos as a pest, is used on a daily basis as a tool to try and justify the unabated slaughter of sacred totem kangaroo and the ongoing destruction of country. The kangaroo is my family totem. The totem is a natural object, plant or animal, that is inherited by a clan, individual or family as a spiritual emblem. We have caretaking and conservation responsibilities for our totems. Totem defines people's roles and responsibilities, our relationships with each other and creation. The kangaroo are my ancestors. They are my culture and my family's spiritual connection to country. Every time one of these totemic animals are gunned down, a part of myself, my family, dies. Our cultural connections die. The interconnectedness of country dies. Our creative spirit torn apart. And indeed, I wonder if that is seen as a treasured bonus in the eyes of the colonial killer. And then to see the very government who governs this stolen land under the coat of arms, the kangaroo and the emu, profit from the commercial slaughter of kangaroos like some sort of trophy exemplifies blatant and obnoxious colonialism. I've chosen to appear before you via audio link today, as I now fear for my personal safety as a result of being a very vocal Indigenous woman and a truth-teller, speaking out and condemning the abhorrent commercial kangaroo killing industry and indeed speaking out against the unsustainable farming sector, who continue to cause so much destruction to not just kangaroos, but increasingly all wildlife and ever-increasing areas of country. Clearly, from the death threats I've received over the years, the aforementioned are worried about the truth that I speak. As long as sacred totem kangaroo are slaughtered, gunned down and treated as garbage, I will never be silent and I will never be silenced. The wording in the death threats, again showing the poisonous infection of colonialism. It wasn't enough that the invaders of this once pristine country mass slaughtered indigenous peoples, my family, my ancestors, it wasn't enough that they took body parts of Indigenous peoples, our tools, our artwork, the bones of they, those they slaughtered to the other side of the world as trophies. No, that wasn't enough. It's never enough. As that behaviour pattern, that mindset continues today. No lessons have been learned. In fact, that very mindset and those behaviours repeat themselves ad nauseum and without any care daily by the behaviours of the government-sanctioned commercial kangaroo killing industry. These animals, these sacred totem animals, their spirits never able to rest as they are gunned down. Their flesh and body parts taken, cut up, skipped around the world, taken again. Their internal organs, their heads severed, tossed aside like garbage as they are killed. Kangaroo joeys, if they aren't legally bludgeoned to death by shooters, 
Those surviving little babies, little juppies, will ultimately die lingering deaths alone as they call to their slaughtered mothers. A lucky few will find their way to the arms of wildlife rescue, and we are so thankful for them. Not only are kangaroos gunned down, they're poisoned, run down, run over, herded against exclusion fencing and gunned down for fun. No respect for these ancient ones, no care. Indeed, I recall a farmer in the unsustainable farming sector who laughed as he spoke about a kangaroo caught in a section of his exclusion fence. Carrying around, hanging by her broken feet, the bloody mess he laughed about as she in terror fought for her life. To which the farmer responded, who cares, mate, they're a bloody pest. And so he left her to die, a lingering death, in terror and agony. The hypocrisy of those calling kangaroo a pest, breathtaking. I've been honoured to have recently contributed to the book titled Injustice by documentary journalist Maria Taylor. And from that book, I quote the following extract from the yarning between Maria Taylor and Indigenous elder, woodcarver and artist, Billy Dorman. In the old ways, says Billy, we danced the trails, waterholes, animals. We were part of nature. Not separate as a dominator, Maria understands. We walked with the animals, says Billy. We are true children of the earth, and it provided what we need. This place was virtually untouched when Captain Cook came. Animals are the ones that did all this, he tells Maria. Billy goes on to mention the soil-enriching worms, insects that pollinate, eels that clean the rivers, and marsupial grazers with their soft feet, unlike the hard-hoofed animals that came with invasion. That's why we had the beautiful grasslands, says Billy. It's the native animals. They keep the system going. Billy continues. There is hope if people make changes to heal the land and live with the native species. Mother Earth can heal herself if we help. And then somewhat of a warning from Billy that indeed continues to be ignored. If people keep doing what they do, things are going to get very bad. Everybody is responsible to look after this beautiful country. I wonder how much longer it will take for the veil of colonialism to lift, given the ongoing behaviours of destruction. How much longer do we have until everything is gone? These sacred totem animals, this kangaroo, encompasses the evolutionary, ecological and cultural processes that sustain all life, all culture. The slaughter of kangaroos must stop. The colonialism must stop. Enough damage has already been done, but sadly, not enough damage has been done to satisfy some. Thank you. Had a chat with Alyssa from the Victorian Kangaroo Alliance about a brand new presentation that's available on their website, which is vickangas.org. It's a presentation in PDF file about the Victorian kangaroo pet food industry. The first three slides, you know, you could show to your kids. After that, I advise some discretion because there are some horrific images, but it is the truth. It's the dirty, honest truth.
Alyssa visited the VKA website and saw the VKA overview graphic PDF presentation. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me back on. Yes, I put together this graphic overview of the Victorian kangaroo industry uh, with help from uh, the Facebook page, Kangaroo Industry Dirty Graphic Truth. I'm just going to call them Kidget because it's quicker. <laughs> um, so essentially, Kidget has people that are inside shooter groups and they collect evidence um, from the shooters. They also collect uh, evidence from rescuers of um, wounding and things like that. And, you know, we work with them, uh, use that that those images um, at other times as well, um, you know, resharing things on Facebook that relate to Victoria. Um, so initially uh, they were just cataloging via, um, you know, different parts of the process and they weren't specifically referring to state, um, but more recently they have been um, putting in the state as well. And so uh, we've been able to use their work and their research to build this um, graphic overview. The idea being uh, to show people what the industry looks like in Victoria because it does vary slightly from state to state. Like if you look through their Facebook page, there are certain differences between the states. It's, it's all much of a muchness really, but, you know, to, to show people exactly what's happening here, we used all images from Victoria uh, unless otherwise stated. So essentially what we do is we go through the different stages of the processing of the so-called harvesting of kangaroos commercial harvesting absolutely hate that word kangaroos are not apples but such it is called by the government so we start off talking about the soliciting which is rampant with shooters soliciting particularly on facebook trying to find kangaroos to kill and we have literally hundreds of those sorts of posts that we've been recording and it's statewide, so pretty much everywhere in the state they're, they're trying to dig up kangaroos to shoot. And then we talk about the, um, the actual shooting of kangaroos and that they're often not killed outright. And, of course, joeys are considered a waste product and either bashed to death or left to starve without their mothers. Yeah, so then we go onto a page about hanging, which is essentially just where they're collecting the kangaroos from the field and stringing them up along the back of the ute and stabbing them in the neck to bleed out. This includes pictures of a child with a kangaroo, which I have followed up on these pictures and I was told by the Game Management Authority that it is not illegal to have children in the field as long as they're not physically shooting the kangaroos. And again, on Kidget, you can see that it's quite a common occurrence to have children in the killing fields and there is also evidence on there of children shooting as well, which is quite horrific. And then we go into field dressing, which is incredibly unhygienic, where shooters often aren't wearing any protective equipment at all, no gloves, and handling multiple different bodies and different species as well. And at that point, all the cavities are opened up and exposed to heat, dust, and insects. Uh, then we've got transport, which is where they're packed onto the back of an open ute. I've included pictures here. So, you know, there's sort of hundreds of pictures you could choose from for this sort of thing but the ones I've chosen here shows uh, where they've sort of double packed in the kangaroos so they're all um, jammed together and they would be just bleeding into each other which is you know horrendous cross-contamination um, and highly unhygienic 
There's also a picture here of a shooter sitting on the back of his ute on top of all the dead kangaroos with his thumbs up, which is pretty disturbing. And then we've just got some pictures of how they're loading them into the field depots, which really shows when they're hanging up how small some of these individuals are because there is no minimum weight in Victoria. Um, and they're being strung up here. It's broad daylight and they're just being dingle dangled outside and moved along in into the field depot. Then we've got some pictures of inside the field depots and they can be hung in these places for up to two weeks before they're moved on to the processes. And again, there's no hygiene standards. The people aren't wearing gloves, sticking their hands inside cavities, and it's just filthy, just grime, filth and cross-contamination. Uh, and then we've got pictures from inside the facilities, uh, which is interesting. Alyssa, I expected a big change in cleanliness and occupational health and safety practices once we're inside the processes. No, no. And these pictures were provided to Kidget um, from a whistleblower who's been trying to um, trying to get them out there. And essentially it just shows revolting conditions. So they've, there's, they then get moved into the chiller at the processes and that was there's a video of that that was loaded and it shows that the the roof is leaking, kangaroos jammed in with deer, and then, yes, basically just like a table of, mm. of bits and pieces that they're chopping up and sticking the different bits into pots. It also, the, um, the whistleblower alleges that there was uh, rampant smoking and drinking inside the facility as well, and there is pictures showing workers smoking and a guy who's like semi-naked, which uh, who he suggested was under the influence at that point. So, yeah, pretty alarming stuff, quite frankly. And this uh, is a professional we- industry. It just yeah. beggars belief. Yeah, it's certainly eye-opening to look inside this industry. It was shocking to me because a lot of people believe that kangaroos are farmed. You know, for them it's going to be shocking to see how dirty it really is and I think that the reason why the kangaroo industry is kind of ignored by the the wider world is because a they either think that kangaroos are farmed or they believe that a, kang- a wildlife trade in a first world country is somehow better and um, less of a, a public risk than in other countries and I, I hope that you know through the work of, of Kidget and also, you know, this sort of document that I've put together that we can sort of expose that myth and show that it is filthy. And honestly, from what I've seen, it, it's even worse in other states, like particularly Queensland, New South Wales, Western Australia, in terms of the cross-contamination. But in Queensland and New South Wales, particularly with wild boar, and you do get that in Victoria as well, but it seems because the numbers of boar are higher, up north there's more of that and they are just absolutely riddled with diseases and they're just jammed in there with kangaroos left right and center like it you know and if anyone wants to look through the kangaroo industry dirty graphic truth folders which i've looked through all of them you can see that it's just absolutely rampant in those states and in western australia they're jammed in there with camel yeah it's just it's it's a real concern from you know in terms of it being a risk factor for the emergence of zoonotic disease and you know i've been trying to get people to pay attention to that and hopefully at some stage they will and it will be before it's too late so 
when we're moving through, then I move into the aftermath. Firstly, talking about the outfoot joeys, who, you know, we discussed that in detail with you in a, in a previous podcast episode. And just essentially, you know, the tragedy of these little ones that are left behind and that they're so hard to catch. And often by the time they are, by the time they are caught, they're too weak to survive. And then we also include the wounded and the awful um, experiences that rescuers have finding these horrifically wounded kangaroos. The worst one I've ever seen recently came up in uh, St Andrews, which is right on the on the urban fringe of Melbourne, uh, with a really necrotic, rotting jaw. His jaw had been blown off. And it's just absolutely horrific. And it's horrific for the rescuers, but also for the residents that have to call those, you know, those poor kangaroos in and to see them suffering and trying to drink and unable to eat and wasting away. You know, it's really awful. Uh, the other one is the awful piles left behind, often very close to homes and businesses. So I've included pictures of what that looks like, of what residents are seeing and how that affects community members. I've also included a link in there to the work of uh, Auntie Janet Turpy Johnson, who recently came out condemning the kangaroo industry as extractive colonialism. And, you know, she, she's one of some very amazing Aboriginal activists who are trying to make people see this industry for what it is, which is colonial exploitation, plain and simple. And yeah, that's that's the end of the presentation. And it is very gory. Uh, there's really no holds barred in there. But if people have the stomach to go through and read it all, it will, I hope, set them up really well to advocate against the industry because they've they've seen it, they know, and hopefully it will make them feel as passionate about it as I do and as, as our team does. But the other benefit of it is people can just download it, copy the link, and send that on to politicians, send it on to suppliers. They don't even have to look because I acknowledge like some people don't want to see those images and you don't even have to, but send it on to the people who need to see it. At least have a look at the first written page. Most of the basic information is there. And I think if people are a little bit squirmish, perhaps they won't want to look at it. But it is the dirty, rotten truth, isn't it? It sure is. And so, yeah, people, the first three slides are not graphic and that information and then the soliciting, which is really good for people to know. Yeah, and if, if people just want to read that and then send the rest through to their local politicians, yeah, to any suppliers in their area, then that would be so beneficial. And, you know, I completely understand people not wanting to look at gory images. Like, you know, it's 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 not nice. It's not pleasant. It's, it's extremely dirty. It's extremely cruel and horrific. And, yeah, I can understand why people don't want to look. But if they want to be really informed advocates, um, I definitely would recommend reading the whole thing. But, yeah, if not, just sharing it is such a huge help. and you know, would be so appreciated by all of us. I would ask all our listeners to go to vickangers.org, click on resources, the link resources, and currently at the top of that list is this presentation. Look, we'll move on. The forthcoming Nike protest rally. Now, this is uh, Saturday the 9th of July. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so... Um, because we're creating a global movement to pressure Nike, this is another another step in that um, process. And um, so we're targeting Nike because they are a cultural leader, they're a financial leader, and they're also they also have the technology to be able to quickly pivot away from 
kangaroo leather because at the moment they're one of the main the main purchasers of kangaroo leather which is fueling the industry it's very likely that without nike purchasing kangaroo leather that the commercial industry may not even be viable anymore so they're a strategic target i'm sorry if i Um, don't don't shed a tear at that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we're really um trying to trying to get nike to realize, you know, what they're doing. And the thing is, like, they've got a policy saying that they won't use exotic skins. And, I mean, how much more exotic can you get than a unique hopping marsupial that only occurs at the end of the earth <laughs> and completely wild? There is no farmed kangaroos. Um, they are all shot in the wild. And so we're trying to put on global pressure on Nike. And initially we were set to go ahead on the 4th of June for this protest and America is still going to do that. But the rest of us are moving to the 9th of July. Uh, We just felt that we just felt that we needed a bit more time after the election to prepare for that and also to hopefully um, get some European cities on board as well. And so we've just, yeah, we've moved that to the 9th of July. We'll be meeting at 11am at the uh, Nike Melbourne Central store, which is directly opposite uh, the State Library of Victoria. And it's where we held our last protest. There's plenty of sidewalk room there. And yeah, we'll all be getting together there to raise some awareness and try and globally put pressure on Nike to do the right thing and and stop fueling the exploitation of our wildlife. Yeah, as you pointed out, especially seeing they already have synthetic alternatives. And through USA legislation in California, they they can't ship their kangaroo hide shoes into California. So, Mm. you know, um, I mean, it's going to be easier for them just to drop the whole thing. Gosh, I hope it happens. I hope it happens because, as you pointed out, There's so much money tied up in that cade leather. And without that, the industry may not be viable. Yeah, it's a little known fact. I think a lot of people just think that they end up as dog food, but, you know, the big money's in the leather. They had to develop a market somewhere. And no matter how hard they try, they can't get us to eat kangaroo meat because most Australians (laughs) just know how dangerous that is. Mm -hmm. And we still haven't done a program on that. On human consumption of kangaroo meat. We've got to do that because talk about worms, nematodes, parasites. Oh, yeah. Got the lot. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you should definitely um, (laughs) have Helen on for that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) She knows all about the worms. Oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) Look, fantastic stuff. Congratulations. Uh, It's been a great uh, 2022 for the VKA so far. Hope the Nike rally Saturday, the 9th of July. What time do you say? 11 a.m.? 11 a.m. Yeah. 11 and we'll have some great speakers. Um, we've definitely got Andy Medic, and there will be others as well. I've just, just gone through and updated them on the change of time. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to confirm all the speakers quite soon, but some really good ones. So. And what I will do, uh, I haven't worked out how I can actually put the link on the initial interview, but once the interview goes to air, it'll then appear appear on our on-demand page, and I will put a direct link to that overview graphic presentation from the VKA so that people can just go click and get all the information on the Victorian kangaroo pet food industry, the dirty rotten truth. Cool. Thank you so much. All right. Keep up the fight and we'll speak again soon. Wonderful. Thank you, Rob. A pleasure. VicKangas.org. 
had the pleasure of speaking with Carolyn Drew from Animal Liberation, ACT. Now, ACT stands for Australian Capital Territory. Each year, they hold what they call a conservation cull of kangaroos. And to be honest, there is no scientific support for this cull at all. Sit back, relax, listen to Carolyn and get involved. Carolyn, can you tell us what has been Animal Liberation's involvement in this so-called conservation cull in the Australian Capital Territory? Animal Liberation, ACT, have been involved in the so-called conservation culling of kangaroos here ever since the very first killing, which was in 2008, which was at the Balconnan Naval Tracking Station, which was a, a retired station, if you like, And they decided, based on one senior ecologist's PhD that he was putting together, they decided to kill 600 kangaroos there. And uh, New South Wales Animal uh, Rescue Group got involved and Animal Liberation ACT got involved as well. So it started way back then. This is 2022, and we started in 2008. Over the years, Animal Lib ACT has launched some challenges to this conservation cull, haven't they? Uh, yes, we have. We we were given status in the end, which was a really big a big ticket item. It meant that as a group, we were affected by the culling that the government were doing every year. So that was one win. But after two attempts by ourselves and another attempt by another group from Victoria, the government managed to stop us being able to go to the tribunal and challenge it by doing two things, changing the actual status of the kangaroo in legislation and by changing administrative legislation, which meant that they didn't have to, after changing the status of the kangaroo, didn't have to get a permission for a licence to kill kangaroos. So they gave themselves, uh, um, took out the regulation, which meant that they had to apply for a licence every year. And that's why we were able to go to the tribunal and challenge it. Um, And they did that at the point where we were becoming quite successful. The tribunal was, and the media at the time, were starting to listen to the various arguments and starting to rethink what the government were doing. And that's when they used the law to beat us around the head, basically, so we can no longer go to the tribunal and challenge it at all. Doing some research on this issue, I noticed that the ACT, and look, for our international listeners, the ACT, or Australian Capital Territory, is the designated capital of Australia. It's in a sheep paddock, surrounded by the state of New South Wales, and it's bitterly cold there. But it's ideal area for the eastern grey kangaroo. Can you tell us what the hell is a conservation cull? What does that mean? It's quite an absurdity. The the two ideas, conservation and culling, don't go together. However, very briefly, and that's something that um, listeners really need to understand, to be able to understand the idea of a conservation kill, is that this idea is based on old ecology old green science and that old green science and I call it old because it doesn't belong in the 21st century that old green science or old eco science 
declares that uh, you only you have to take care of the whole ecosystem and in doing that you might have to kill off not only individual animals but individual species to allow the whole system protection. Um, it's challenged now by the idea which has come from America actually which is the idea of compassionate conservation that balances the needs of the individual animal or species with the needs of the ecosystem as a whole. So hence the idea of conservation culling comes from old science and uh, certainly very outdated science because in part because it's a science that humans have actually arbitrarily pulled together. Uh, we don't know very much at all about what wildlife are really like what the environment you know flora or fauna are really like because we only know them the way we want to perceive them so our perceptions are what is shaping all of this and not what the wildlife actually are like in terms of from their point of view what their lives are like and from the ecosystem the whole ecosystem's point of view we have an idea of that and we view it through the idea we never see the actual uh, animal or the actual ecosystem so we create these problems by only perceiving the idea of something instead of seeing the world from the point of view of the other some of that argument may have held water as you said in colonial times when we were trying to raise build up stocks of domestic animals uh, cows sheep etc to feed the new country yeah Carolyn, please feel free to be as blunt as you like. Can I just read, which is unlike me, because usually I just babble on, but the ACT government is committed to evidence-based kangaroo management. That's their statement. They're hanging their hat on that. Yes. How come independent uh, studies by the CSIRO uh, evaluating the science on which this evidence-based management is based, say it's basically a load of rubbish. It doesn't support anything. No, that's right. That's right. The CSIRO have said that it, that kangaroos do not destroy the environment because that's what the ACT government are trying to persuade people, not, in Australia, not just in Australia but around the world, that kangaroos somehow destroy the environment instead of um, helping the environment thrive. And they've been here in one form or another for millions of years. So the ACT government, for example, every year they use a different excuse. So I like the saying they always move the goalposts on us. So one year, one year it could be, oh, we've got a drought, so we have to kill the kangaroos. There's too many and they'll die of starvation and thirst and so on. Then the next year or two more years down the track, so to speak, they'll use the excuse like we've had lately that we've had very good rain. So now there's too much grass and so they have to be killed. And then they also use the excuse that the kangaroos kill the grass and that the grass needs to be of varying heights, you know, from one inch through to three foot and kangaroos graze too consistently so it ruins that dynamic within the grass growth. And then they use the excuse that kangaroos are killing little birds like red robins. I don't know what other countries they have them in, but they've said declared that kangaroos are killing the red robins, so therefore kangaroos have to be killed. And then there's a couple of different lizard 
animals, little beasties that we love that live within the grass, various grasslands. And they, they say that one of them lives in the soil and they say that, uh, so it's like a worm-like lizard and they say the kangaroos kill them as well. But the thing that if people came and saw or even had a look via Google Maps, looked at Canberra, they'd see it's basically, as you say, an, it's a, a been eaten out by sheep. The trees that are now growing here have been planted by, replanted by people because um, they were cut down. And the the um, sheep, actually, poor poor animals, they were the ones that had trampled the soil and changed the grasslands forever. Moving on from that, what Canberra does as a, the ACT government now doesn't have an industry that it can rely on, so it's relied on selling, on development. So it sells parcels of land around the reserves to developers to develop them into suburbs and the various infrastructures that are attached to suburbs. And the only way for that development to occur is to kill the kangaroos. That's the reason why they're killing the kangaroos because we actually, uh, Canberra in one way is a very green place, um, politically green I'm talking about because we don't have mass farms, we don't have those awful sheds full of thousands and thousands and thousands of chooks and piggeries and so on. They're all outside of our area. So on the one hand, it's a very green place and has been managed by successive governments uh, along those lines. They don't, we don't allow um, exotic circuses, for example. But on the other hand, because the government can't make money in any other type of industry, because it's the capital, it just has the public service and I guess the other half of the population are tradies who service the, cap the public servants, uh, they feel they have to sell land and develop it and that's how they make their money. So that's really what's happening because on the one hand they blame the kangaroos for destroying the grass, for example, the native grasslands, and yet on the other hand they bulldoze over that, those same grasslands just 10 metres away and destroy the habitat of those animals they're uh, supposedly trying to protect. And that's very easy to find. It's very evidence-based what they're doing. So that's why, you know, we just, they're just complete nonsense, complete lies, and just they're justifications for, for an industry that's grown up around killing kangaroos led by the scientific community here. And the scientific community, a lot of the ecology, a lot more ecologists are employed because of it. A lot more rangers are employed because of it. And it's they've got on this sort of train track momentum where I don't feel they don't feel they can stop anymore because it would be too embarrassing for them. But there are other other eco scientists, and including the CSIRO report, that completely expose. The, the lack of reasoning and the lack of justification for killing the kangaroos in this region. I mean, it couldn't be more clear. The CSIRO has said, well, basically, this is not science. This is gobbledygook. No. It's yeah. a narrative that they're trying to sell the general it public. Is. It is. And they, they still they keep saying that we've got, they make these statements every year in the lead up um, when the culling season opens as to why they're doing this as you said before to manage the numbers that is kill so that you know the grasses are protected the lizards are protected and so on but at the same time 
they haven't once put out a report to let the public know whether or not those goals have been achieved because they haven't achieved, there's nothing to, they're not trying to achieve that. Um, And that's why there's no evidence put forward like most scientists, for example, uh, say just a scientist completing an experiment. What they do is they do the experiment, then they do a write-up of their data, they do a discussion which leads to them proving one way or the other that, yes, they proved their hypothesis or they disproved their hypothesis. But the ACT government ecologists haven't done anything of the sort. They have yet to produce any report showing how it has substantially um, helped them manage the grasslands, how the killing has substantially managed to protect the robins or the legless lizards or and so on, because that reasoning is just a complete lie. It's just a justification for this idea that they have to micromanage the environment um, because from doing that, the ecologists can make create a status for themselves, make a name for themselves, get funding for doing it from the agricultural industry and so on. So it's one, Canberra is turned into a one big open-air scientific laboratory, if you like, and it's run the way that they would run these same laboratories at a university, but it happens to be the whole Australian Capital Territory that's turned into one. The inquiry in New South Wales has pointed out quite clearly that the populations of kangaroos, including the eastern grey kangaroo, are totally decimated in New South Wales. So the ACT could be a a haven for this population of grey kangaroos. Look, this so-called cull, and it's not a cull, it's killing. Cull is the selective removal of the sick, the old or the inferior. That's right. That's now, right. this cull has begun, has it? Uh, yes, it started last Monday. So this is, it's Wednesday and it started on Monday. And it's currently, uh, they've earmarked nine reserves this year for killing. Now, that's um, one more so than last year, isn't it? Or the year before. I can't remember if last yeah. year was 13 or or not off the top of my head. But it's roughly about the same. They go from... Uh, on a yearly basis, they might open up 13 to 15 and then other years only eight or nine. And so far, they've our group have been down trying to protect the kangaroos on one reserve, which is known as Red Hill. And I, we think they've killed uh, so far about 20-odd kangaroos. What they do is they spend a night or two focusing. Sometimes it's one one team on one reserve. Other times they have two teams of shooters, so they might be shooting at two reserves at the same time we don't know if they use one or two because they don't say but wherever they're shooting they focus on one reserve and kill as many kangaroos as they can in any given night then they go because it's it doesn't close until the 31st of July so that's eight or nine weeks that they've got so they go backwards and forwards from one reserve to another they not only shoot the big males but they shoot the mothers and they if they can they will kill the at foot joeys who are still very dependent on them even though they don't live in the pouch and if there happens to be a pouch joey they will drag that poor pouch joey out of the pouch and just thump their head against a truck or 
cut their throat or something like that. It's pretty gruesome stuff. So when we know, when when we're down around a reserve or if we go on, because if we go on, anybody, you can get fined. You can also be charged and be hauled before the court for going on trying to protect the kangaroos. So, But every time you hear a shot, you know that it's probably, if it's not the dad or an uncle, it'll be an aunt or a mother. And if it's a mother, it'll be her fan, the joey and the in-pouch joey as well. Uh, that will be killed. So in the numbers that they say that they're going to kill, which this year is 1,650, that doesn't include the numbers of joeys and also those at-foot joeys who, even though they are grass-eating, they still depend on their mother's milk and they will die because of not being able to get that nutrition. They just die from um, very slowly and unseen. Um, so... If 1,650 is their target, they'll probably kill around and uh, a certain senior ecologist always said my guesses were pretty spot on. So they'll probably kill around 2,300 or 2,400 if you include the at-foot joeys as well as the pouch joeys, something like that. In previous years, have they released the data recording the sex of the animals they shoot? Yes, they do. And the majority are the, are the mothers. The majority. majority? The majority are always the female kangaroos, yes. No. Yeah, yeah. So they target them quite deliberately, which is very upsetting because that's the future generations and that's, of course, why they target them because they don't want those young joeys to survive into the new year. I mean, it's sort of an absurdity them worrying about the joeys surviving because... Um, as others would tell you, joeys, that is the younger kangaroos, only have a 70 to 8, they have a 70 to 80% mortality rate. Yes. So one female kangaroo can only really replace herself with one joey. Um, there's a popular myth that goes around that kangaroos uh, can overpopulate. They can't, not with an 80% mortality rate. And eastern greys particularly don't have a little cellular joey ready to go at all like some of the other varieties of kangaroos do. They don't do that thing called diapause, which is have um, an, an in-pouch joey and a little developing cell. They very rarely do that, eastern greys, and we only have eastern greys in this region. So the targeting of the female kangaroos is really going to affect the populations of kangaroos here in in the not too distant future, actually. I mean, I've got four reserves quite close to me that I look after when they shoot on them and they've stopped shooting on them because there's not one kangaroo on any of those four reserves, not one. We are seeing that here in Victoria with when they opened up the uh, kangaroo shoot for the pet food industry. Yeah, yeah. And they're asking for more kangaroos in the quoted to be killed but this year uh, last year i should say they shot 66 percent of quota the average throughout australia is around 15 percent of the quota that just yeah. shows the problems that kangaroos are in at the moment it does because they don't have any respite from it act the australian capital territory as you know is surrounded by new south wales uh, and also has a victorian border but mostly it's New South Wales. And so 
the kangaroos in New South Wales are being shot out through the commercial killing and her, the numbers of shoot, the shootings are just every night hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kangaroos are shot if there are any kangaroos left to shoot and that's always a contentious issue. But then the kangaroos in the ACT who do come in to take, um, to seek, they seek protection by coming here and I know yeah. that, um, some ecologists say kangaroos don't move very much, but their home ranges are not small. They're quite large. They're quite big. And when a number of kangaroos will uh, shot out in one area, other kangaroos will move in if there are kangaroos around to move in. And the kangaroos here are trying desperately to remain in the ACT. On those four reserves that I mentioned, there were 200 kangaroos uh, two years ago on one of those reserves, which sounds like a lot of kangaroos, but it's not because kangaroos are very much like the plains animals in the African uh, states and the Af African plains. They prey animals and they live in huge groups to protect one another. That's the nature of these sorts of animals. So the huge numbers are not because any of them are overpopulating, but it's because that's the way they protect one another. And those 200, uh, 150 to 200 kangaroos that I was watching very carefully and getting up to all sorts of hijinks to stop being arrested and still protect the kangaroos, after that year, they just all disappeared. And what they did was they moved out west and they were forced out, I'm sure, into New South Wales Territory, uh, where the landholders are shooting kangaroos. So not only are we killing them directly through bullets, we're killing them by forcing them to move because there's nowhere else to move because the reserves are trapped, surrounded by suburbs. And we're also doing a slow method of killing, which uh, I disagree with and animal liberation disagrees with entirely, which is f fertility control because we don't know the consequent long-term consequences of fertility control. We have no idea what that's going to do to a species because we haven't experimented in quotes enough with it. Um, again, it's an unnecessary intervention, but even fertility control will have consequences that we uh, can't see as yet. And that's why we shouldn't do it, because we don't know what those consequences are. And also because they don't need to, we don't need to control their fertility. They do it themselves very well. I was involved with a campaign in a national park where this pseudoscience was applied to control kangaroo numbers because they believed the national park was not regenerating because of kangaroos. Yes. And they come up with a figure. I can't recall what the exact figure was, but they called it the natural carrying capacity of yep. that land. Now, in the ACT, they're talking about less than one kangaroo per hectare. That's right. That's right. And they get that figure from um, a formula that they uh, worked out many years ago, they being the agricultural boffins, for farmers to work out how many sheep or cattle they could carry on their land. So they've used that same formula to work out what they think how many kangaroos should be on so many hectares. Uh, not taking into account, of course, that kangaroos don't e eat 
in any way, shape or form the way that sheep and cattle eat for a start. And they eat far less than sheep or cattle as well, far less, contrary to popular myth. I was just about to say that an accepted figure these days is that one cow will eat the same amount as 60 kangaroos. That's right. But this is based on this dry herbage formula, isn't it? Yes. And yet there's no evidence. In fact, the CSIRO stated there is no correlation between the number of kangaroos and the dry herbage formula when you don't take into account the effect of other animals, of drought, of weather, of development, of human intervention. Yet none of that was taken into this formula. Is that correct? Uh, It is. It's absolutely correct. So they've just um, completely, they've completely disregarded that report. There was another report done by one of their own uh, ecologists who um, came up with the same uh, conclusions as the CSIRO, basically, and she was run out of town because of it, uh, which was very sad. So any other ecologists or scientists that tries to challenge, and we had did have people from UTS come down to the tribunals to give evidence on behalf of the kangaroos with the science that backed the fact that there was no evidence to say that kangaroos do destroy the herbage, uh, the grasslands. But they they got laughed at by the tribunal. They basically said, they asked these, these ecologists, do you live in Canberra? This was what they based their decision on after they gave their evidence. They said, do you live in Canberra? No. So what do you know about Canberra kangaroos? That's the sort of intelligent tribunalists we had, bar one of them, on the tribunal at the time that, they, these scientists didn't know what they were talking about because they didn't live here because Canberra kangaroos are different to every other kangaroo in other states. Oh, they, they must be. They must be. Carolyn, they have to be. Because yesterday I read the statement put out by the government in the ACT, which stated, this is how conservation-minded they are, yep. they actually stated that they hold the shoot this time of year to limit the number of pouch young that are killed. So that means that the ACT, Eastern Grey Kangaroos, have a completely different biological structure than every other Eastern Grey in this country. I know, I know. It's quite quite absurd. And, of course, um, you know, people only have to walk around and check out the various kangaroos that we do have left. Um, and there are some, they're coming closer and closer to the suburbs, which is also a danger for them because they're losing their space. But you see quite well-developed in-pouch joeys, furred joeys as we know them, and the government claim that it's only these little pinkies who they say have no consciousness, so therefore we can kill them. But the furred, uh, there are every second kangaroo has a, every second mother has a furred joey in her pouch. And a, a few of them have little pinkies who are just poking their head out of the pouch. So it's quite ridiculous because they're no different as to when they have their, give birth to their joeys and their joeys develop according to the environment. And that's the same across the whole country. It's, it's, it's just a completely, 
it's a big myth that they've developed and everyone loves these myths because it means that they can agree with the government and not think about the killing that's going on. The ridiculous thing is most Australians and certainly international people listening to this program will not really appreciate that these at-foot joeys that run around their mums and, and dart off and come back you mentioned earlier that they're still depending on mum. They stick their head into they the do. pouch and have an occasional drink. Yeah. But they're also emotionally dependent on their mother. And that dependency is at least 15 to 18 months. It is. It's, it's very, I guess, for the listeners, it's thinking it for those who've had children, if you think of your toddlers uh, who you might be looking after, your two-year-olds or your three-year-olds, the joeys that the mother kangaroos, the at-foot, at as they call them, because they're no longer living in the pouch, they're sort of the equivalent in a way of you having your toddler having to look after themselves yeah. to find their own food, to find their own sustenance, to look after themselves, to find shelter and so on. And no toddler would survive and therefore, and in the same manner, none of these 18-month 15 to 18 month joeys survive either because they're very, very dependent. There's a whole family structure. There's the mother and the babies. There's the aunties who may not have young joeys. There are the uncles and the fathers. They all have a relationship with one another. And these the killings uh, just totally decimate those family structures so that the younger ones, if they do survive, if they're 18 months going into uh, early young adulthood I suppose we might call it in human years if they survive that transition they have not been taught kangaroo culture which is another element that people don't understand kangaroo culture and kangaroos like all species have a culture and if that culture isn't transferred from one generation to the next it gets lost the mothers for example show the young female kangaroos the paths the pathways that have been there for thousands of years and handed down from mother to daughter, mother to daughter, mother to daughter through all the generations. Uh, So there's a lot of kangaroo culture that's handed on to generations that just doesn't get handed on at that point. And that presents problems then for the species themselves. In previous programs, we've discussed the fact that the juvenile males, also without the dominant males to show them how to be a male kangaroo, They're starting to turn to other animals even as a guide as to how they should act. Look, this is horrific. The government says we're going to shoot 1,650 kangaroos and people say, that's all right. In reality, we're we're probably talking 3,000 kangaroos at least, including those at-foot joeys and babies. What, What can we do to help? How can we try and stop? Who do we need to contact? Well, for the... Uh, overseas people, we we feel all of those involved with this feel that it's only international people who will bring this to an end in the end. No one else will because I'm always reminded of that uh, song um, by an American folk singer where she sings, you, you don't know what you've lost until it's gone. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how Australians feel about kangaroos and a lot of our other wildlife they don't they won't know what it's what they've lost until it's actually gone so international pressure is the best way to go and i thought of that earlier on and i thought i've got an email address that people can have 
And from that one email address, we can send out the various email addresses for the ACT Legislative Assembly members, particularly the Greens, um, because they're the ones that are driving this kill at the moment, the Greens political party in Canberra. And that one is all one word, Canberra kangaroos, plural, <clears throat> all one word, Canberra kangaroos, plural, at OptusNet, O-P-T-U-S-Net, optusnet.com.au. Uh, and that's our email address. And from there, we can send out a list of email addresses because the more people, the more we can have people emailing the Greens ministers particularly, but even the Labor ministers who are driving this, the more they will realise it's not just, you know, six different people in Canberra and the same old names every year, particularly if they get emails from international kangaroo supporters or sympathizers or advocates because the more international it's a bit like the seal killings that used to go on the more we have the international pressure the more the country feels they have to give in to that international pressure so that's something that everyone can do relatively easy easily if they've got an email uh, program and all they have to do is simply say stop killing the kangaroos in the act they don't have to say any more than that. Carolyn mentioned an email address. Let me just run through that again. It is canberrakangaroos at optusnet.com.au. That's C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A-K-A-N-G-A-R-O-S at optusnet, which is O-P-T-U-S-N-E-T dot com dot A-U. Now, this email address will take you to a site that will give you uh, a lot of information as to who you should contact. And as Carolyn said, just tell them to stop killing Canberra's kangaroos. An incredible program tonight. Very powerful. Thank you very much to Auntie Rodemudjid Godwin for fronting the parliamentary inquiry and making such an outstanding statement that opened my eyes. Till next week. This is the wildlife.